We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone spent the whole season saying they love our transfer business from the summer. Well, it's time to find out if we really love it. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Alex Smithy, Blackman Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Yeah, look, everybody loved the transfer business. Ramsdale, what a revelation. Ben White, great addition. Martin Odegaard, how could you have any problem with Martin Odegaard? Brilliant. Tomiyasu, we love him. All right, out injured. We love him. But Sammy Lakanga and Nuno Tavares looked bright, looked good, looked exciting. Now we're going to find out, did we roll the perfect, what's a good roll? It's not snake eyes. What's the opposite of like snake, like double double sixes? Did we roll seven? Seven is crap out. You know what? Forget the, the craps table analogy. The point is we're going to need all of them now, not just the ones we've been relying on. And we will see just how right we got it indeed, as they say. All right. So quick, quick update on the fundraiser. A very, very, very generous anonymous donor has come to me and said that this person will match every single pound of donation up to 10,000 pounds between now and Monday evening. So we are going to go over our goal. It is a testament to the power of this community, Andrew, uh, Arsblog's community, the just generosity of spirit of Arsenal fans and and. I can't thank you enough, but that doesn't mean the work is done and we have a chance to do something special. So if you've been thinking, yeah, I might give, maybe I'll give, maybe you don't care about the VIP box or you wouldn't be able to make it so you haven't given, if every pound you give now is double because this anonymous donor is going to match it up to 10,000 pounds. So you give five, you're really giving 10. You give 100, you're really giving 200. I know there's some of you who can't give and that's totally okay and I understand, but if you can, now would be a great time to do it because it counts double essentially. Um, And because of that, we're going to extend the drawing for the VIP box through that Monday day so we can get all of the match donations in there. We also have an auction for five of the box seats. Two of them have already been spoken for. Um, And if you go to our website, arsenalvisionpodcast.com, and just click charity, you'll see the link to the main fundraiser. You'll also see the link to the auction if you're like, you know what, I want to give, but I just want to get the box. I just want to know I'm getting in there. You can go to the auction site, but don't worry. Every five pounds of donation 
you are in the sweepstakes to win one of those other two that are going to be uh, sweepstakes off. So lots of ways to enter. Remember, the proceeds go to save the children through the Arsenal Foundation. We're supporting the Arsenal Foundation, and this cause helps children, refugees from the war in Ukraine, but also from wars in areas like Yemen, Syria, Afghanistan, Palestine, Ethiopia, Kashmir. This is a cause that helps people who need it, who are getting the media coverage to bring the attention to the cause, but also people that aren't getting that attention. And I'm very, very proud of the community for what you've done. So thank you for that. Tim is on Twitter. Still better. Hello, Tim. Hello there. It's uh, pretty exciting, right? Yeah, very much so. Um, blown away by how, how quickly we've reached that target in not even four days, really. Just absolutely incredible. So thank you so much to everyone. Yeah, can't say enough. And to Andrew, who has also donated his entire Patreon revenue to, to charity for the month. Just an incredible philanthropy within the community. Um, Tim, I, I will have the rare pleasure of saying you are actually maybe too loud. Normally I'm like, Clive, speak up. But uh, just a little. So if you want to either sit back from your mic or just tone it down a bit, no problem either way. Uh, and joining us now on the main pod, a veteran of the live streams and someone who is uh, – should have been on the main pod much more recently, but is here now. It's Jessica Black. You find her on Twitter at Jessino Tweets now. Is that where we're at, Jess? Yeah, that's it. That's it. Okay. <laughs> I just, you know, the, the change, I don't, I don't, I don't like change. It's scary. Um, pretty exciting stuff though, right? To be able to do this, this fundraiser and, and help. I mean, the cool thing is, right? Like helping children who are refugees from war, there's really no disputing the importance of that cause. Like nobody's going to come back and be like, not a good cause. <laughs> Yeah, you know. nobody's going to say it's not important, but the work that everybody's doing and the um, the amount of money that you guys have been able to raise so quickly, just like you said, speaks to the community. And so amazing work there and um, exciting times. Yeah, yeah, well said. All right, well, look, I know people are here to hear about the football, so that's what we'll do, but I did want to let you know, and reminder, if you give now, between now and Monday, that, that drawing is going to happen on Monday evening. So if you want to be in it, now's the time to do it. And our phenomenal anonymous donor is going to match up to 10,000 pounds. So please, uh, please do that now. Okay. I got a few fun topics. Uh, we will get to Champions League reaction because I think there's some interesting stuff to talk about there. And, and a bit on Everton potentially going down. I'm curious to get your takes on that. But I want to just start with the, the main headline of the, the week and really of the season now. Tim, it's how we cope. And mm. last season, Mikel Arteta, Mikel Arteta has really been through the ringer as a manager in a very short period of time between COVID absences and players who had to be, you know, had to be, or he had to freeze out or whatever you want to say. And, you know, playing in front of empty grounds and all kinds of crazy stuff. But last season, what looked like it could have been a promising run in both in Europe and domestically really, I, th I think short circuited by injury and specifically a Karen Tierney injury. Now he's not only dealing with a, a season ending injury for Tierney, but what at least preliminarily could be a multi-week absence for Thomas party, who has felt like the linchpin to our resurgence in many ways. So right off the top of your head, how do you think last season's experience will influence how Arteta chooses to deal with these absences this time around? Yeah, I think it could do because I think it could, persuade him that perhaps moving too many pieces around isn't the way to go so for example we saw Xhaka move to left back um, in the second half at Selhurst Park and that's uh, I, I thought that was the right move at the time but the more I think about it the more I think personally think we shouldn't do that um, for the Brighton game just yet so m maybe that experience maybe the kind of and you know for the Villarreal game he obviously also played Smith Rowe as a false nine and you know maybe in another setting that might have worked 
perhaps if we weren't already, you know, hadn't already shifted an important piece into a different position in the team. Maybe that's one of those things he'd be inclined to try again in isolation and not against the backdrop where, you know, we've got an important central midfielder moving to left back and someone uh, potentially slightly unfamiliar coming into midfield. So that that may inform his thinking, because if you think about it, Elliot, basically at the, the end of both of his full se- his seasons in charge so far, he's he's kind of had to tweak things. And we saw him go to the back three at the end of his first season, and that was enough to get us over the line in the FA Cup, albeit the league results still stayed pretty up and down. And then last season, you know, he tried the kind of Xhaka thing at left back, the Smith Rowe at force nine, and neither of them really worked. And And I think the other thing as well is perhaps the lesson he might have learned from that is not to over-index what happens in one game. Because if you remember last season, he first tried that Xhaka at left-back thing, or at least the, the first the, the first game Tierney was injured for, I believe, was away at Sheffield United and Arsenal won 3-0 and we continued with it. And really, in hindsight, we should have just said, yeah, but it's Sheffield United. Mm. And they were basically already relegated at that stage. So... Um, I, you know, I think that maybe this is one of those scenarios where you take it one game at a time. I'm sure we'll come on to Tavares, but like my position would be start him on Saturday. Let's see how he goes. If he has another disaster, then you kind of rethink it. But um, we, we've it. It's an opportunity as well because the the question is whether Palace sussed us out or we have been sussed out. Maybe. Maybe that gives an op- us an opportunity to change things up. Maybe it um, it gives us an opportunity to uh, to kind of go a little bit horses for courses and look at the teams we're playing and, and tailor our approach. Um, it's it's not ideal, but yeah, I I do think that Arteta he's certainly got a lot of data points um, to go on here. And look, this happens, right? You do something, it works until it doesn't. We played four four one one for six games this season. It worked. It didn't. We stopped doing it. It's just that's just the way it goes. Mm. Well, breaking news: Arsenal has put out what can only be described as an ominous. Uh, update on Thomas Party, and I'm stealing that word directly from Jess in the chat, so thanks for drawing my attention to it, Jess. Uh, see, this is the important thing. When one person is talking, everybody else should be on Twitter, so we know if anything's happening. The listening is so overrated. Um, our number five was substituted during Monday night's game against Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park after aggravating his right thigh. I'm aggravated by a lot of parts of my body, if I'm honest. Thomas has since revealed further assessments received reading is fundamental and subsequent scan has shown muscle damage to his right thigh. We will continue to assess Thomas in the coming weeks during which time he will also receive further specialist consultations. Everyone will be working hard to get Thomas back on the pitch as soon as possible. Sounds like they got their best team of people on it. Jess freak out. Can you please bring the appropriate level of panic? Um, Whatever we think should happen at left back. And I want to roll back to that in a moment. Uh, because we did rewatch the performance, Clive and I, for for patrons, and we focused on the Tavares performance, and I actually think it's underappreciated. I think there was quality there that's that's concealed somewhat by his role in two goals that maybe were more Gabriel's responsibility, but hard not to move on from that position to the one that I think has really been, as I said, the linchpin to our resurgence and to the 4-3-3 system we've used, and that's Thomas Party. This sounds, if not season-ending-ish, Certainly multi, multi, multi-week-ish. And I, I don't know 
that I think we can just say, Sambi, go man the entire midfield by yourself in games like United and Chelsea. I mean, maybe this weekend at Brighton, even that I think is a question when you have players like Basuma tracking you down. What's your reaction to this uh, scary news and how how we need to cope with it? Uh, hashtag pain. <laughs> uh, I'm looking at this and I'm just, I mean, this is kind of what I expected. Um, when he went down, I just kind of thought, you pulled that muscle, you did it again, and it's going to be weeks on weeks on weeks. Uh, I was hoping that we, like, maybe I was overreacting and Arsenal would come with something like, oh, two or three weeks, but them not even giving any sort of timeline, which I know since Arteta has been here, they've done it a lot less, but there's no timeline on that. It could be for the rest of the season, it could be he makes a little cameo against Everton at the end of the season. I don't know. But since he rated himself a 4 out of 10, he's been slowly clicking into gear. And in so many in so many games, I felt like through December all the way up until now, he's been pretty faultless, very good, um, world-class levels, in my opinion. And he's been managing midfield basically on his own. So it does make me really worry about how we can get that same level in midfield because I haven't really, and this is no, for, for I like Arteta. I just feel like I've, I have not seen him be able to move pieces around in a way where we get similar results without some sort of like, two or three game period where we just kind of fall flat. And so it does worry me. Sambi plus Shaka seems doable, but we haven't really seen it that often. So it worries me. It does. And I thought if Thomas Party, Odegaard, Saka, and our two center backs could stay fit, we could make it into the top four. We had just enough. But without him... And without Tierney and not really knowing what's going to happen with Nuno and what's going to happen with the shakeup at left back, it it does make me think, okay, is this when we're going to have a similar slide like we did in Europa League last season? So mm. it's up to Arteta this time to figure out a way to piecemeal this group together because that's what really good managers do. I've seen other teams have injuries that to, to key players and you move pieces around and you make things work. And because Arteta struggled with it last season, I would hope that he had a better solution for it this season. Cause if in January they thought, okay, we're not going to bring anybody in, but everybody's going to stay fit. They couldn't have possibly have thought that. So I'm just hoping there's some sort of contingency, but it just sucks. Cause it feels like, it's always players that we really need that get injured. And I know that may say and sound harsh to like, you know, the fringy type guys. It's never like the fringy dudes. It's always the guys that there's like literally nobody that can do what they do. Yeah. And it's getting, it's giving trauma. Like it's giving PTSD. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it feels like it's never the fringy dudes though, because what we've done is shrunk the squad and depended on a smaller group of all critical pieces. Right. Because when I try to think of who the fringy dudes are, I mean, Odegaard party, Gabriel and Benjamin white, uh, Saka Martinelli, 
Smith Rowe. I mean, I, I don't know who I would say is a fringy dude because we've shrunk the group down. And that, that Tim, I think leads to the, the question of January. I, I, I want to come back to how we, how we solve this in a minute, but, but since uh, Jess raised it, I do want to talk. I was very clear, you know, look, I, I don't know if you know this, but I'm occasionally prone to hysterics, but I actually supported the not doing anything in January move because I I, di- I did feel that one of the things this club has been bad about recently is expedient moves in the market that long term don't benefit the project. And what I didn't want to do was you know buy a striker who wasn't quite the fit we wanted just because he was available in January. But like even if we had gone in the market in January, and even if those had been ill advised moves, but they added some depth, Tim, I didn't see anyone saying let's get another party backup for him and Samby. I didn't see anyone mm-hmm. saying, let's get another left back. So the irony is that the positions that put us in this crisis now make us feel thin, I guess. But I have two sort of thoughts on this. One is, even if we'd been active in January, I don't know that I see us having brought in players for the positions that are now causing us the stress. And the other thing is like, I don't care what team you want to talk about. The teams that have good seasons, that achieve extraordinary things in their seasons that are beyond their preseason expectations, get a little lucky with injury. When Liverpool won the title, they had eight outfield players who started more than thirty-one game, uh, th- 34 games, something like that. You know, when Leicester won the title, most of their key players started 38 games. The, the reality is... We do have Sambi Lacongo. We do have Nuno Tavares. We did buy them in, Jan- in, su- in the summer, and we bought them specifically to be backups to these two guys who are now injured. So we did address this, not the last window, but the window before, mm. and it kind of is incumbent upon them now to provide what we bought them for, which is backup to the starters. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And that's what Cedric has been doing as well for the and last couple terribly. of months. not terribly. Not great yeah. against yeah, Palace, yeah. but not terribly. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. That's that's the deal with backups. That's why they're backups. And in Duchette, Tam- yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, but in Tavares and Sambi, I think we've gone the right way. We've gone with backups who, you know, perhaps have some potential to be more than that one day. And I, and I, personally support that model more than I do getting Cedric's, um, to be honest. Um, so it, 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 it is just kind of tough shit, really. Like, you don't, to your point about Liverpool, look what happened when they lost Van Dyke last season and every other defender they had. Like, you know, they, they finished fourth, didn't they? That's critical, the yeah, because they're, they're probably the best team in Europe. And a couple yeah, of yeah. key injuries to them made them barely a top four team last season. Yeah, That's how yeah. this works. Yeah, exactly. And now they're all back. Look at them. They're challenging for the title again. Like that, that is, yeah, that is exactly it. Even like you look back to, no one ever looks at this when you win the league, but in 97, 98, when Arsenal won it, Roy Keane did his cruciate in September that season. Uh, Cantona retired the summer before. Two massive pieces came out of that Manchester United team. And that undoubtedly helped Arsenal to win the title. That's, that's just the way it is. Um, so yeah, it it does just it just does just kind of suck. And look, if um, Kane and Son get injured in Tottenham's next game, they're fucked too. Like that is just the way it goes. That basically the only team that can absorb losses like that are Man City. Like I think Man City have won the league with De Bruyne and Aguero not sitting on you know not being available for large chunks of the season. But that's Man City. Like that's. That's ridiculous. Like that is the, you know, with PSG by far and away the richest club in the world, uh, and with the biggest resources. So, 
that it, it is just part of the part of the milieu of a season you don't want your um your big players getting injured i guess really the the question around january as you say it wasn't about backup left backs or backup midfielders it was about the striker um and and i think that is you know probably still a live debate about whether you know arsenal should have um should have brought done more to bring in a striker um but yeah it's 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 just that is the way it is and I guess the other question, as well as, you know, should we have brought in a striker, is at what point do you kind of look at some of the players who are out and say, but you're always out and we can't have that? Um, And I'm not saying we've reached that point necessarily. In fact, I don't think we have in either case. But there has to be a little question in Arsenal's mind about someone like Kirintini, who, as we've just pointed out, missed the end of last season as well and missed a lot of football at Celtic. And and at some point, we've been here before as Arsenal fans. We've seen really good teams play really good football and then bang, Van Persie's gone and that's it. Or Fabregas has broken his leg Mm. and that's that. And, you know, the, the, the question, I guess, is not so much about the squad players, but the resilience of those guys that we're really, really reliant on. Um, like I say, I don't necessarily think we've reached a point where we, we do away with anyone just yet. But I, I think that's more where the debate is for me. Yeah, I think that's fair. Look, it is it is the case that there's probably a player or two in every team, barring maybe teams like City where they can have stars at every position and at the backup for every position. But in every team, there's probably a player that if you say, well, without them, they're done. You know, if Tottenham lose Harry Kane, they're a bottom half of the table team. And not that we would wish that on them, but let's wish that on them. Um, you know, if if Liverpool lose Van Dyke, I mean, we've seen what they are. They're they're a team that goes from probably winning, potentially winning what three trophies this season, to you know last season when they were barely a top four team. And I I think you can go to any team and, and you have that issue. And I think if the argument is well, we should have been active in the market in January, most people would have said we should have been active for a striker. And what I would say is, were we going to buy a striker in January who would have hit the ground running and been better than what maybe Gabriel Martinelli might be, or even Smith Rowe? And so I would say that if your principal complaint is striker, then that's where I would turn to the manager and say, well, maybe it's time to take this very, very talented guy playing on the left and see if he can be that striker. Because... At this point, maybe it's reached the level now where the guy who's playing striker is not giving you enough of either of the things he needs to be giving you. Now, that's open for debate, and we can come back to it. Just the the issue with depth is that no team feels deep when they have a player playing at the level of party and he comes out of the team because the next guy, whoever he is, can't be what Thomas Party has been. Now, what Thomas Party was against Palace, that's pretty easy to replace because he wasn't very good in that game. And, you know, it's the first time in a long time. I, I watched with Clive the Nuno Tavares performance again. And I have two reactions. One is he was not that bad. There was there was more to that than I appreciated. I overreacted to the, rea- to the performance. And I wonder if maybe Arteta did as well or if it was purely tactical and we take him at his word. I also look at the goals again and I think Gabriel Magalhaes, who just had a baby and probably is a little bit sleepless and, you know, was not his best to say the least is maybe as much at fault or to some extent, 
you know, very much at fault for both goals as well. And when you're a young kid coming into a team having not played in a while, that rock experienced top-level center back standing beside you is supposed to be the cradle that helps you get through the game. That didn't happen. Specifically with the left-back situation, I think Mikel Arteta has to be brave and trust his young left-back that he bought last summer. I think he has to do it because I think we are now facing enough threat to our system and enough changes that may be needed that starting to move Shaka back there and not you know having anyone with experience in central midfield or moving Saka there and losing the one thing that's really consistently worked all season on the right hand side or you know whatever whatever the solution is I, I don't see it being any better than just trusting the guy you bought in the summer to be the backup. So would you go that direction at left back or do you think he needs to go with someone with a bit more experience? Well, let me, let me just say that when I watched the game, it was after the fact, thank God, because I couldn't have watched that live. It was so crazy. But I like that we have a rim, it, a rim shot from that comment, by the way, whatever that, that, <laughs> the that was like my nails hitting because I'm I, talking I with it. my hands I right now. All right, go for but, it. <laughs> But uh, so I watched it after the fact and it, it was more Gabrielle for me than Nuno. And you expect Gabrielle to play so much better than that. When you have somebody that's been outside the team for a while, he does need to step up a little bit more. So I do agree with the, maybe it was less Nuno and more Gabrielle and we should expect more. I'm cool with that. Um, when it comes to the, the Nuno thing, I was, I was a little bit harsh on him after the fact, but then it was also me with a slight agenda as well because I'm a huge Kieran Tierney person. So I'm like, well, you guys wanted Kieran Tierney at the team. That was wrong of me. I'm slapping myself on the wrist for that. <laughs> but it was. I mean, I'm yeah, sorry. It's, like, it's fine. That works on social media. But here, here we can bring a, a more erudite level of discussion. <laughs> exactly. So now that, now that I've thought about it and I've seen Nuno play, and I, I do think you have to go with Nuno. Uh, this is why... Sambi and Nuno were brought in for this exact reason. Anybody that you bring in other than Nuno, I think you weaken another position or we're forgetting that they weren't great in that position, i.e. Cedric at left back. No, nobody wants to see that again. We saw that during Europa League last season. It didn't work. You move Jack out of midfield. I don't know about you, but I don't want to see Jacka versus Lamptey this weekend. I'm not interested in that at all. And so... I think Arteta needs to do something different. We've seen this episode before, you know, moving people out of those positions and not using what you have. Use Nuno, but use him correctly. He's basically a wing back. We can talk about whether or not we should have brought in an actual fullback or a wing back based on our system. That's something we can talk about at the end of the season. But right now, Nuno has qualities that we can use, especially at home. Like, we're going to be at home against Brighton. We should have a lot of the ball, and we should be attacking. And everybody should be able to trap a ball on the Emirates pitch, right? So I think you use Nuno, you make sure that you have a back three set up next to him, and you let him attack, and you build his confidence. You, it's very clear that Nuno has, like, no confidence. Well, he's been and taking off at halftime, his last two performances. That doesn't help. <laughs> it, it It doesn't help, and... I think these are things where, you know, because Arteta is doing such a good job with other players, you're like, okay, well, maybe Nuno's doing something wrong. But we've seen this in the past with Arteta where it's kind of like when you're not his person or he's not feeling you, he's really not feeling you. 
And so we end up with players that we just can't use. And I don't think we can afford that right now. We just don't have a deep enough squad for that. So is there no way to put your arm around him and let him bomb forward and be more like a winger and just shift things around at the back and make that happen? Or do we need to put Xhaka back there and weaken midfield further? I don't think that we need to do that. The the only thing that's hard, right, is when you have so few data points, it's easy to reach wrong conclusions. And with the Nuno Tavares thing, like Arteta said it was tactical. And to be fair, he didn't bring off Nuno and bring on a left back. He brought off Nuno and brought on an attacker down 2-0. It may have genuinely been tactical. And given the choice between bringing off Nuno or bringing off Cedric, well, if you bring off Cedric for an attacker, who plays right back? Saka? I, you know, I don't know. But if you bring off Nuno for an attack, you can put Shaka back there and you don't lose much in the attack. So I, I'm I'm leaning into the idea that maybe this is correlation and not causation kind of situation there. But Tim, um, I, look, I have little kids. And as someone who has a little kid, there's a song, you may know it, or, or Ava may be too young still, but it's called The Wheels on the Bus. Oh yeah, she knows that. The wheels on the bus go round and round, and then it's the wipers on the bus, and the doors on the bus, and the mommies on the bus, and all that. Well, the Tim on the bus goes, drop block is that, drop block is that, (laughs) drop block is that. And to be fair, you are uh, there's a chorus of people now singing it along with you. I do think that between the Villa game and the Palace game, there are some questions to be asked about what we're getting from that position. I I know we touched on this a bit. I'd like to see Martinelli there. My my point is, do we know if Martinelli's a center forward? We don't. He's just a really talented, good player who seems to do good things wherever you put him. He's scored a worldie from the right-hand side. He's been a revelation from the left-hand side. Let's see what he can do through the middle. Or maybe you give it to Smith Rowe with his direct running and his ability to sort of hold the ball and link the play, whatever it is. The problem now, though, is you bring a young, inexperienced Tavares in. You bring a young, inexperienced Sambi in. And then you take out a Lacazette and go the front line of Saka, Smith Rowe, Martinelli. I mean, you're starting to look like a team of legitimately, like, a team of kids. And so I wonder if you think that the these injuries and the resultant age reduction in the squad will mean that that old man up front uh, will keep his place if for no other reason than just to bolster the experience level. It's it's quite possible, yeah. And obviously we're going to have changes in the spine of the team at, the, at least one of them in party. I think my argument, I guess my argument would be twofold, which would be if we put Martinelli up front on Saturday do we think we're risking getting less from him than we're getting from Lacazette at the moment? Because I don't even really see the link-up part happening with with Lacazette just now. But, but I think my other argument, which I'm quite... <laughs> I'm persuaded by my own argument. Imagine <laughs> how that, that... That's how that works, just for the record. <laughs> um, but the, the, the argument I'm most persuaded by is without party, like it's impossible to believe that's not going to impact our ball progression. And... If we haven't quite got the same level of ball progression, we absolutely need a striker that runs in behind, in my view. <clears throat> it gives us or, or moves around a little bit. Otherwise, if we're, like I say, Palace had our number, they shadowed Lacazette, they stopped him getting those balls out wide. If, you know, if we're getting the ball to him even, excuse me, even less, which I think is very much within the range of possibilities without party, then you know, we're, we're kind of cutting off an arm, essentially. And, and I do think having more threat in behind, regardless, is probably a good idea if you think your ball progression is going to be um, a, little bit, a little bit different. Also, I think it wasn't just Lacazette. Like, Palace kind of had Erdegaard's number. 
um, and Lacazette and Erdegaard were very, very close together and quite easily crowded out. And I think giving Erdegaard um, maybe a different angle or something different to aim for in Martinelli might might be the way to go as well. I'm I'm not going to sit here and tell you I think that if we put Martinelli up front on Saturday, everything will be rosy and fine. It might be, um, but I don't. I'm not sure. I necessarily believe this will completely transform the team. I just think we kind of got to do something a bit different. And I think contrary to, I, I completely understand the argument. Well, there's too much change already actually, but I, I think that that's actually, that's a, a bigger argument for making that change, to be honest. Um, not just because it's cumulative, but just because I, I think not having Thomas party would have an impact on Lacazette anyway, even if he was playing well and doing all that good link up play he was doing a few weeks ago. So that that's why I'm kind of persuaded to go with Martinelli uh, and then, you know, try and bring a level of stability by playing a left back at left back by playing our, our backup central midfielder in central midfield and then making the change with Martinelli. That, that is personally the way I would go. I don't think that's the way Arteta will go. Um, I think that Lacazette will play. I think Sambi Lokonga will play if he's minded to do something. I think it's Tavares. As much as I would play him, I'm not, I'm not necessarily... Sh- I, I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't um, mm. on Saturday, put it that way. I think it's much more likely that we'll see an adjustment there, uh, whereas I would prefer to see the adjustment at centre-forward personally. Yeah, my fear is that this just means the system changes, period. And we go to like a back three, for example, and it's Gabriel holding and Ben White. And it's, you know, like, a let's say Martinelli and Saka as wingbacks, something along those lines, right? Um, that you get a Shaka and... Samby midfield and Odegaard moves into more of like a forward line. I, I just, I worry this means that it's, it, we go back to the drawing board and maybe that is the right thing to do. I just think in the entire time Arteta has been here and really in the last four seasons, the only time I've seen Arsenal consistently be not just a good team, but a team that plays the kind of football I think is repeatably winning football is the last four months or so. And it came with a specific system and I think if you believe you bought the right players and you believe you have the right squad, then use the players you bought and stick with the system that works. If you think we got last summer right, then that means Samby is a guy we should give a shot to, to be the party role. Now, the one thing I would ask just real quick, Jess, and then I do want to start to shift off of this, is Samby strikes me maybe as more of the left eight than Shaka does and maybe more of the left eight in the role in the system we've been playing than than the party replacement because it's just so much responsibility in space. Could Shaka drop into the party role? And again, I, I know the idea of Shaka patrolling the entire midfield is scary, but just hear me out. You can get players closer to him. You can give him the support, you know, out of um out of possession in more of a four four two. But like, could you move Samby into that more advanced midfield role that Shaka's been playing and drop Shaka a little deeper? Because I. I think that might suit both of them just a little bit more, and especially in terms of where the responsibility winds up. Uh, (laughs) Xhaka in the Thomas role is like nightmare. Are saying once he gets pressed, it's not going to work great? Have we ever seen any evidence about (laughs) him? I mean, because you think about Brighton 
and how difficult it was for us to play against them the first time around. It was we because they were pressing complete us. three passes in a row. <laughs> yeah, they were pressing us really hard. So it would give me, it, it would scare me if if Jacka was there by himself. I think with Sambi, we've just seen several times where he's looked like a kid playing a man's game. And so we're reluctant. come to mind. Is that, is that the yeah, one that jumps out? Yeah. That one for sure. Just reluctant to play him um, at this point, because even though he's the, the, the Thomas party replacement, that's like in three or four years for me, it's more about sheltering him a little bit so that he can do what he does best, which is some of that deep line playmaking. He has some of those qualities that Thomas has about like, having that angle to to get away from somebody and, and find a pass, but not quite at the same level as, as Thomas Party, obviously, because of the experience. I wouldn't, honestly, you guys, I wouldn't count out seeing Xhaka at left back, Sambi by himself in midfield, and ESR and Odegaard in those eights. That's something I can see Arteta doing. That's at home against Brighton. I can definitely see something like that that would scare me as well. Like, I think I would just want to stay as close to what we've been doing and keep players in positions that feel normal and try to just shelter Sambi and Tavares a little bit more. But like Tim said too, like, I think Lacazette will play. I don't think there's any scenario at this point where Lacazette doesn't play. And that's just where we are. When we decided not to buy a striker, it's kind of like, okay, this is what our life is. It's Lacazette. And I'm not even sure that if you were to take him out, if things didn't go right, you could bring him back in. And that may be me projecting onto his personality, maybe because I don't know him. But like, if you take him out, what can you do? You know, if it doesn't work out, can you bring him back and he'll play hard? I don't know. Mm. So, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's one of those where... I think Arteta is going to stick with Lacazette, but I can see a shift to that like Lakanga by himself in midfield with the two eights at home and Jack at left back. Cause yeah, you know, I don't think he's going to play Nuno, even though may, I think he should. Yeah. You, you make a really good point and, and, and we'll get off this topic, but I, you said something that really triggered something for me, Jess, which is not triggered in a bad way, but triggered a, a positive thought. Tim, like, Last season when we played with Shaka at left back, it cost us. But it cost us largely because the left back position was Tierney bombing on and putting in crosses. That was our attack. Mm. Over the last three months or so, especially since Tommy's been out, Tierney has sort of sat back a little bit more. He's been more withdrawn. Martinelli does the overlapping and the running in behind. And and um, Shaka has, has played that more advanced eight role. So if Shaka drops back in the left back and you bring Smith Rowe into the eight and Martinelli stays on the left wing, you're not really losing the attacking threat because the left back hasn't had that role for a few months. It's really more the recovery running and the defensive solidity. But like, I actually think this season, to Jess's point, and look, I'd play Nuno, but I think our current system is more set up to accommodate a, a player like Shaka playing left back than last season's system is, is what I'm trying to get to. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I think I think that's a fair point and one I hadn't thought of because we've already seen that tilt, right? Because we've got Cedric. Exactly, um, yes. And Cedric is an imperfect um, kind of replacement for Tomiyasu because he's a very different type of fullback. But what we've been doing is just switching those roles over, essentially. So, yeah, that that is actually a very good point. And it kind of, I guess, 
answers that question we've had about how do we get all our best attackers on the pitch at the same time. And one of the, the, the angle we've come at, at it from the most is, well, can we just play Martinelli instead of Lacazette? But yeah, you're, you're quite right. Potentially, we could just sit Xhaka in there. Um, that would probably suit Cedric more. Um, to bomb on and yeah having Smith Rowe in that left eight particularly in this game against Brighton um, whether you know whether we do that at Stamford Bridge for example I don't know maybe we do if it works why not um, but yeah actually that, that that's a really good thought and one I hadn't thought of because um, you can still sit Xhaka in you know those Xhaka spaces and and actually Smith Rowe is probably much more um, much more suited to that left eight role, certainly in an attacking sense, than Xhaka is anyway. Um, so that that might be a neat solution. And actually, I, I wouldn't mind betting that that's what actually ends up happening. Yeah, yeah. And and like, I just want to finish this by saying one thing that I I am not someone who just comes out and defends Edu and Arteta. I think I've definitely got the priors and the pedigree to prove that to be the case. But I hear comments like, this has exposed how painfully thin the squad is. And I just want to make a point. Like, our backup to Saka is Nicholas frickin' Pepe, who we bought for 72 million pounds. Our backup to Martinelli is Emil Smith-Rowe. Right? Our backup to Thomas Party is Sambi Lakanga, who we bought in the summer to be the future at that position. And then a guy in Mohamed Elneny, who's a seasoned professional. Our backup to Tierney is Tavares, who we bought in the summer to be that. Our backup to Tomiyasu, Cedric, he's been playing on our winningest run. Our backups at center back are Rob Holding, who when he comes in, kills the game off. We've got a backup to a goalkeeper who was our starting goalkeeper, who's when he when he had to come in and play, played great. Right? I mean, the the fact is the the area we look thin, the place we don't really have a backup is Alexander Lacazette. But like, had we bought that in January, which maybe we should have, and maybe we'd be better off, doesn't fix the issues we're facing now with injury. So I I'm not saying the squad is where it needs to be, but I'm just saying, you know, go show me these other teams that have really excellent backups at all these positions that aren't named Manchester City. Um, I'm not as sure that exists, and we are still, I think this top four chase has made us forget, like, we did really, really dumb business for a really, really long time, and now we've started doing good business, but we only just started doing it last summer. So, you know, I, I think we have to remind ourselves that we had a lot, long ways to go to come back from mistakes of the past. Um, I want to get into now, you know, just sort of prognosticating about what this means. Is the party over? Uh, he says with a double entendre in mind. Mm-hmm. We need to discuss that. We also need to um, maybe look at, at Everton in the Champions League because I think those are both kind of fun talking points. But before we do that, look, maybe what Arsenal need more than anything is indeed because Arsenal needs talent. We need it. And the best way to find the best talent is with the hiring partner that helps you attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And that is Indeed. Um, with Indeed, you can do all those things I just mentioned, attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Uh, and it's the only job site where you are guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find the candidate with the right skills, you can get one powerful hiring partner that helps you do it all. And they partner on every step of the process through time-saving tools like instant match, assessments, and virtual interviews. Which is, you know, my favorite part is the instant match because with instant match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your must-have job requirement uh, uh, description. And then you can invite them to apply so they don't have to wonder which job to apply to. You invite them. And you only pay for the applicants that meet your must-have requirements. 
According to uh, Talent Nest, Indeed is four times uh, delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Join more than three million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring right now with a seventy-five dollars sponsored job credit. That's a lot. Seventy-five dollars sponsored job credit before April thirtieth by going to Indeed.com/slash BlueWire. Get your seventy-five dollars sponsored job credit by going to Indeed.com/slash BlueWire before April thirtieth. Indeed.com/slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire. You need Indeed, Tim. Is that enough of that? Indeed. Nailed it. Um, and Tim, I, I have to say your internet dropped out. Yes, it right did. Right during the uh, sponsorship and came back right at the end of it. So yeah. uh, I, I would say that serendipity is on our side. This is the good karma oh, from the fundraiser. It. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, by the way, uh, just a last mention. Remember, very, very, very generous donor, 10,000 pounds this donor will match up to 10,000 pounds of donation to the fundraiser uh, between now and Monday evening. So everything you give is doubled, essentially. So go to arsenalvisionpodcast.com, click charity, and you can get straight to the fundraiser. The funds go straight to the cause. So uh, it definitely worth doing. Okay, Tim, um, I want to just quickly ask, is the party over uh, with, with tongue-in-cheek, but also not tongue-in-cheek? I, I think there's a lot of panic, obviously, about what's going to happen to us now. Um I have felt and have said for a while that if we didn't get top four, that I thought it would be disappointing from the position we were in because I think that the people chasing us are flawed. I think we're on pace to get high 60s, low 70s points. And I thought that that would definitely be enough and we didn't even have to be that good to do it. But now another team who remained nameless has gotten a little bit hot. We have injury crisis. Our fixtures don't look great. And I'm wondering where you stand right now on not just the hysteria of it's all over top four's gone, but also like how we might need to readjust expectations and think about this run. And if it maybe doesn't go the way we might like in terms of how we evaluate the season whole, because I think of Emery's season, he had us in position to get top four. He lost it. It was mm. pretty despicable and we were all very upset, but I actually think we were a pretty poor team throughout the season period yep. that, that played some pretty dreadful football and just got some good results. This is very different from that. So, that's, I don't know if you can dissect a question out of that ramble, that'd be amazing. <laughs> but I think my, my point is essentially, have you readjusted expectations and will we potentially need to rethink how we summarize the season uh, as a result of some of this? Yeah, quite possibly. Look, <clears throat> the, the reality is, it's very, very difficult to envisage a scenario where we are not hurt by this somehow, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's very basically short of getting you know what we got 10 games left nine games short of getting like 30 points there will be a pinch point somewhere in this running at the very least where you go oh shit i wish we had thomas party today i wish we had kieran tierney today like that is going to happen and particularly with some of the games we've got left you know going to chelsea potentially going to spur well we're definitely going to all of those places without tierney and probably without party i think that message to me looked very much like uh, season might be done. Maybe we can get him back for the last couple of games. <clears throat> and even then, like we know that party has generally been quite slow to get back into it uh, once he does come back. So um, I think anything else we get out of him this season is a bonus. Yeah, like reality biting here. It's, it's impossible to see a scenario where that doesn't hurt us somehow. The, the question is really, do our opponents <laughs> for fourth place get hurt somehow? Mm. Do they just demonstrate some kind of inconsistency? You know, does this weekend come and they lose a couple of um, big players? I, I always felt, I, I never felt um, 
you know, I never felt like this was done or anything like that. I, I'll completely admit, like after Villa, for example, I thought, oh, I've, I've got a feeling this is going to happen. This just feels right. This just feels like we've got the momentum. Um, and now, and now, of course, we don't have that and things change quickly. But yeah, that, that's why I think the injuries are more damaging than the defeat um, at Palace. Because um, let's face it, we were losing that game anyway. We were 3-0 down essentially when party went off. It was mm. it, That night was already a write-off. Um, so, yeah, like <laughs> reality calling, we're is very unlikely that we're that we're not going to be hurt by this. And so the question becomes: first of all, I, I still think like nearly everything will come down to that Spurs game. Unfortunately, I do think that is going to be a bit of a shootout. Um, but that, but then it's like, how flawed are our opponents going to be? I don't think I don't think Spurs are going to get like. 27 points or 30 points or whatever out of their remaining games either. So the the question basically has become not can we be really, really good anymore, I think, which is which is probably where we were a couple of weeks ago. It's can we be good enough? Can we get over the line? That's what it's all about at the moment. I think that's the reality. And to be honest, I never had the feeling like we were running away with it or anything like that. It, it's a bit like um, j- just because of the comparative run-ins of Arsenal and Spurs. Like Arsenal's always looked harder to me. It's a bit like you know when you do like the the eight hundred meters or something, and you've got like the runners on the outside lane and the runners on the inside lane, and it looks like the guys on the outside lane are miles ahead, and then all of a sudden the course <laughs> they corrects, run that corner. <laughs> and you go, Oh no. <laughs> he looked he looked like he was about twenty yards ahead a minute ago. It it always had that kind of feel um to me. So I, I, I was never in the kind of yeah, yeah, this this is art. But like I did have a nice kind of yeah, I think the momentum might be with us. It does feel a little bit like it's gone to Spurs, I think. But at the same time, look, like we said, if they lose one or both of Sun and Kane, if they lose both of Sun and Kane, like like I, I think they've got basically no chance. Yeah, they might not I'm win not, another game. I, <laughs> you know, I'm, so. I'm not sure that will happen <laughs> like yeah. one of them um maybe but yeah it, uh, like I, I always had the feeling that both teams have got a couple of really really strong players and if they lose them um then they might be in some trouble and unfortunately we've lost one of ours certainly um possibly mm. two in Tierney it's hard because I I really feel that this system, which has been so good and we've seen such great football, has revolved so heavily around Thomas Party. Yeah, and we had that discussion, didn't we? Um, I can't remember if it was after Villa or after another game. But did, did we have the like the for fun, <laughs> fun in inverted commas <laughs> discussion? Who is the player that we most can't replace? And and I think we kind of said it was Party just because of the role he's playing. Um, and, and of course, how well he'd been playing it at that point. And yeah, here we are. Um, life sucks, doesn't it? And, and you know, we already lost Tomiyasu as well. And I feel like that, you know, enough water's gone under that bridge. Maybe because Cedric's done pretty well, like you say, not great against Palace, but we haven't talked about that that much. But I think it's more that he's been out for so long now um, that it's kind of less of a conversation. But that's another core player um, I think that's gone. So what I'm saying is I'm appealing to the non-existent injury gods for fuck's sake. You know, there's, there's, there's a team just go a couple of miles down the road and turn your Irie down there, please. We're, we're, we're done. 
Yeah. Um, I, I will say this too. Like sports are weird people. They, they don't always do what you expect them to do. And like there's an injury and a fan base is crushed. I'll never forget. There was a quarterback of the, at the time, I think St. Louis Rams, ironically, a Stan Kroenke team named Trent Green. And he was considered to be pretty good. And the Rams were supposedly pretty good. And he got injured in preseason, and his whole season was lost, and the coach was crying in the press conference, although he cried a lot, that guy, um, about the loss and how they're just going to try to rally around this backup no one ever heard of named Kurt Warner. And they went on to win the Super Bowl, and Kurt Warner is in the Hall of Fame. I mean, the reason I bring that up is like, Sammy the Conga was the captain of his club side at a very young age. He was called up to a very good national team. It's not out of the question that Sammy Laconga, now knowing that this is his position to go prove he can do it, steps in, and delivers, and delivers at a high level. There's a really good footballer in there. That's why we bought him. There's an opportunity for Nuno Tavares, who you know, has all the physical tools and just needs the confidence and the support to be told, this is your position, go play it, and he plays out of his skin. These things are not impossible. And I realize it's a little Pollyannish to say that'll happen, but I, I, you, know, I, you buy these players, and then these players get their chance, and they have to step up and show that you bought them for a reason. So Jess, is the party over? How do you, how do you evaluate What's going to happen down the stretch now in the absence of these players in terms of how you're going to look at what Arteta accomplished this season, what the club accomplished this season? Because I think everybody deserves huge credit for the position we got into. How will you react if, I mean, hopefully it still goes the way we hope, but if it doesn't. Yeah, my raw reaction to this is, it it it, it is like, okay, we may not make top four now. If you haven't seen our win percentage with and without Thomas Party, don't look at it now because it will depress you. But mm. my raw reaction really, as soon as I saw Thomas Party pull up, also knowing that Kieran Tierney was out for the season, was just don't slip out of the top six. And my reason for that is because I never really got super convinced that the top four race was, I know we were in it, but it was really contingent on that starting 11 plus one, all being kind of fit, playing really, really well, like 99% of the time. It was, it's fine margins. And you also kind of need, we needed help from Spurs and Man United being not so great. So I tried not to set my heart on it because I was just, I just felt like we're not going to have these players the ent- the rest of the season. It, at that point, it was like 17 games left. I was like, there's no way. And we did, we've done pretty well. We've done pretty well. So knowing that key players are out, and again, up until this point, I have not seen Arteta be able to construct a plan B quick enough or successfully enough where we don't drop off. So if he can do that, then we're still right in there. But I do think like Tim said that I feel like the momentum has kind of shifted into the Spurs direction and looking at their final fixtures, looking at our final fixtures, it's going to come down to whether or not we can beat Man United at home, who they've probably going to have a new manager won't come in until next season, but those players could perk up and want to look good for the new manager. And you know, we have to play Spurs away from home. We don't particularly do well there. And, 
yeah, so I'm not feeling great about our top four chances, but equally that can change really quickly if we start off against Brighton, we look like a team that can trap a ball and can pass to (laughs) the next player, um, and we win that game. If we win that game, then I feel like it'll change. But in that in-between period of a really bad performance and the next one, you can kind of feel like all is lost. So if I see us play well, I think my feelings will change. But right now I'm just kind of like the original plan was to make sure that we have some sort of European football next season uh, and not the conference league. (laughs) So as long as we finish in the top six, I think I can I can be okay with that. Will I be disappointed because we flirted with top four? Absolutely. But I can look at where we are with our squad and the importance of the players that are out and be realistic enough to, at least in my mind, be like and contextualize this as like, we just probably didn't have enough, but that doesn't mean we were crap. But we did make the improvements and we have improved to a level where Next season with an additional striker and a couple more players will probably be right where we want to be. I hope that that's, that's a good answer for people. It's like, it doesn't sound too negative, you know, but uh, it's it's your honest feelings. Like that's the more important thing, you know, whether it sounds negative or positive, it's what you're feeling. And I think everybody is struggling today to feel positive. I would say that maybe you, you know, I think the the point you made about Man United is maybe they perk up and they want to impress a new manager. I mean, I could see it the other way, which is they have nothing left to play for and they know the guy managing them doesn't matter and most of them aren't even going to stay at the club, you know, guys like Pogba and stuff. I, I don't know. I mean, I could see them being a dead team. I could see West Ham by the time we play them having very little left to go play for. Um, you know, same with Leeds. Southampton and Brighton have nothing to play for. Uh, Newcastle will likely have nothing to play for. Everton may already be down when we play them. This season feels to me like three games. Chelsea away, United at home, Spurs away. I think we need six from those nine. And I I guess maybe we need seven from those nine. What I will say is it can't be zero at Spurs. That's what it can't be. Um, and, you know, the Emery season is funny because I don't think of this anything like the Emery season. I think this has been more enjoyable over the last few months. We played better football in the last few months than we ever did under Emery. But a bad result against Palace started the wheels coming off the top four chase. And failing to beat Spurs away when Aubameyang missed a penalty is the difference between us having finished above them and not. And, like, we're we're back in that world again. No thanks to um, the universe. What I will say is, like, whoever is writing the script for the Amazon documentary is putting too many twists in the story. Like it's a, it's a classic rookie writer's mistake. Too many twists. It's not believable, but if you can put one more twist where we get really good now and, and go on and, and win everything and finish top four, that would be appreciated. Tim, before we get out of here, let's, let's quickly touch on some non arsenal stuff that I think is just interesting. Generally. One of them is the Everton thing. We may have a chance to relegate Everton on the final day. Uh, Lampard probably won't be there. My hope is that Everton have nothing to play for on the final day because if they get a competent manager and they're scrapping to stay up and we need the three points, that just feels like stress none of us need in our lives, especially uh, sipping champagne in a VIP box with some very generous donors. But what I will say uh, is that Everton going down is one of those things that kind of makes me laugh, but if I think about it, it's probably pretty bad. It would be bad for their club for sure. I think it might be bad for the Premier League. And it probably means someone like Burnley stays up, which I'm not saying I'm rooting for. So how do you feel about... There, there's a curiosity about a, a sort of ever-present 
mostly present Premier League team like Everton that's got reasonable resources and pretty big club going down. But how do you feel about it actually in terms of whether it's any good for football? <laughs> yeah, they've got the second longest stint um, in the top flight uh, after Arsenal. Um, they're, they're quite a few years behind Arsenal still. but <clears throat> It does show how, how badly it can go wrong in a competitive yep. Premier League if you spend poorly though, right? Like nobody is safe, yeah. really. <laughs> yeah, 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 indeed. And, and that's, I mean, that's what the Everton story is, spending very poorly. And who is a key figure behind the scenes at Everton? Uzmanov. Uh, well, n- no, I-, I was actually thinking more um, some of the signings they've made. Oh, One of the complaints Kia. that Everton yeah, fans have had is is around the involvement of Kia and whether some of those signings are for Everton or for Kia. Um, so, yeah, uh, no more comments. Two characters I'm happy to have away from our club, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, very much so. So no more comment on that, really. Um, it- it's-, it's-, it's one of those things. It kind of reminds me of, you know, when like, I don't know, like the World Cup semifinals or the FA Cup semifinals come around or whatever and you and you root for like the big teams to go out and then it happens and then like the, the finals like Wigan Portsmouth or something and you go ah oh, actually I'm not sure I wanted this yeah. <laughs> that's, that's kind of what Everton feels like it kind of in the short term it's like oh this would this would be quite interesting this would be quite funny but I actually I don't think I want it to happen I, I do like I quite like Everton. I really, I, I know they're about to move out of Goodison Park, actually, but Goodison Park is one of, um, you know, atmosphere wise, one of the best in the Premier League and has been for a long time. Always found Everton fans to be, you know, um, very, very kind of, very good humoured, very behind their club. And, you know, they have to put up with loads of shit <laughs> sharing a city with Liverpool fans. So I, I can't, I, I don't really want to see it happen. The, the Lampard factor kind of makes me want to see it a little bit more. I have to say, it's it's you know it's it's a bit like looking at a car crash, isn't it? It's a bit like oh, I shouldn't look at this, but I kind of want to. Um, and and but do you know what? Like for years, Everton really wanted, and it looked like needed that kind of external investment. They were. You know, they were kind of running along on a shoestring and then they got that external investment and they've just spent it so badly across different managers, different directors of football, different forces pulling in different directions. And by the way, um, you know, just to show what a kind of unified club Everton are, Everton women very well that they're not going to go down because there's one only one team goes down in the WSL they are doing terribly as well they've done exactly the same thing they brought in loads of expensive players summer on summer they've had three different managers this season um and they're their third bottom um which like I say won't relegate them but exactly the same so it shows you that that club is just so poorly run and what they keep doing is just throwing money at things but the thing is they're throwing money fairly blindly like throwing shit at a wall and and like that doesn't work when you've got teams like no no matter how well healed Everton are or have been that approach really doesn't work when you've got you know other teams doing that but with a lot more money. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like maybe 20, 25 years ago Everton throwing money around like that might have got them somewhere but like there there are plenty of other teams doing that and what the the teams like below that kind of big financial six as it were the way they get on is by being smart 
and Everton haven't been smart. Everton have just decided they'll throw money at things. And they they have my sympathy in a way because I think they're in such an in-between spot when it comes to attracting players, attracting coaches. They're, just, they're not quite on that level where they attract that top, top level. And instead, what they've been doing is paying lots of money for the level and sometimes the levels below that. And and it is essentially it just shows you how difficult it actually is to try and break the hegemony of 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 like again I call them the big financial six because they're not necessarily been the top six of the last few years. So yeah, it it, it shows you precisely that um, Elliot. And there are lots of clubs who've spent a lot less money and have a lot less money than Everton that are in far better health um, in a, in a sporting sense at the moment. Yeah, the the danger of getting it wrong in the Premier League now is, it doesn't matter who you are, you can go down. And like, I look at the Everton lineup that played Burnley last night, and I'm not like, it's trash. It's not yeah. trash. There are play, I mean, we made top four plenty of times with Alex, so we'll be playing, by the way. And like, uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison would be taken by probably every Premier League team, you know, mm-hmm. if the money is right. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's play, Damari Gray is not a bad player. I mean, I, I realize he didn't start. And, you know, they they have played, Decore, I think, can, can play, you know, he's not yeah. amazing, but he can Jordan. play. Jordan Pickford's England's number one has been for well, several years. That's open for debate going forward, I would suggest. But yeah, you're right. And like, I guess what I'm saying is then you look at Burnley and you're like, well, but they're trash. And they're like, well, he could do a job and he's not ter- like there's talent everywhere. And, you know, Sean Dyche, much as I can't stand what he thinks about football, he is a good coach and Frank Lampard isn't. And that's yeah. really it. You can't put clowns in charge of your club and expect to get away with it. You can't do that anymore. Um, you know, the days of, uh, uh, you know, an, old old English lad being handed the reins after failing at five different places and four different relegations. Like you're going to go down and just like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I wonder how Liverpool fans feel like they, on one hand, they must die laughing if Everton go down, but do they want a season where they don't get the Merseyside Derby, especially in part because they're probably going to dominate it for years to come. We might be a lot happier if Spurs were out of the league to be fair, but there is that can't smile without you part of, of rivalry. Like this is, I think this is a cautionary tale to the owners who want to come in a little bit because it is a reminder that this is not the Premier League of old where you're gifted a place in it as long as you're not one of the small clubs, quote-unquote. You can go down. Um, and and so it looks like Everton are going to. I'm wondering if you have any sort of thoughts on the the cascading failures that need to take place for a club of their size to be in this position. Yeah, I mean, it's not just you're bad for one or two windows. It's just layers upon layers upon layers upon layers of bad decisions from the top that trickle down onto the pitch. And I would say that generally, I don't have much love for any other teams but Arsenal. So I can find a bit of joy watching anybody have a difficult time. But I do feel slightly bad for the Everton fan base. I have to say that because I just feel like they've been told that they're going to get better so many times only to be right on the cusp of relegation and their neighbors, their rivals could potentially win a quadruple. Like the pain that they must feel on a daily basis is something that hopefully Arsenal can look at and say, like, we don't ever want to, be in a similar situation and make no mistake about it. We were definitely tiptoeing in that, in that neighborhood for years where it was gradual, 
But every single year we were going lower, 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 and lower. We've had people in and around our club like Kia Draption making decisions on transfers, sticking us with, with not so great players on huge wages. And so I think Everton, whether they go down or not, is a cautionary tale for any club that thinks it's okay to just throw money at it. And that's what's funny about like even what Phil um, Gary Neville said the other day about he was on the overlap and was talking about Arsenal and the top four and we're gonna this is as far as we can go if we get top four and he actually was like well Man United will be fine because they'll just throw money at it and I'm like have we learned nothing have we learned nothing you can't just throw money at the problem and when you look at a team like Liverpool in particular which is in stark contrast of Everton, every single player that they bring in fits them to a T. Mm. The manager that they brought in fit, fit the ethos of the club, the, the fans, the community, everything. And so if anything, there's enough blueprints out there to show you what you need to do. You just need to open up your eyes. And so Everton is just one of those where it's like, wow, this is really what can happen to you. And uh, yeah, it was insult to injury, I think, is for Chelsea fans yesterday, probably because they still love Frank. And not only did they get slapped in the Champions League Hilarious. by Real Madrid, but Frank is down there just. And by the way, that's a terrible appointment yeah. in every way, shape and form. Like, why are you not getting Big Sam? Well, Come the, on the wrong guy for the wrong situation at the wrong place, even if, even if you think there are things Lampard's good at, that ain't it. Yeah, I, I agree. And like, this is the point. You don't make one bad mistake and wind up there. You make multiples. And like, if people want to say, why did Arsenal wind up in eighth place team? It wasn't any individual bad mistake. It was many bad mistakes. And why are we now pushing back to top four? Because even just one window of getting it right and starting to do things the right way, when you have enough resources and you have the right coach, which maybe we actually do have, thankfully, you can start to see the progress pretty quickly. Tim, as a final point here on the, the Champions League, I got to say, I think Chelsea are also a reminder, sort of in the same vein of what we're discussing with Everton, that like transfers aren't a guarantee. And mm-hmm. building football clubs is difficult. And even when you look across the, the, the city at a, a team that you think is doing it right, it can go badly. I mean, I, I was pretty sure that like the the moves that Manchester United made Sancho aside were not good. But with Chelsea, you say, gosh, Lukaku, they're adding that, you know, yeah. and, and Timo Werner, may, may, maybe he'll come back. Like it hasn't worked and it's spectacularly not worked. And now the wheels are coming off a little bit slapped by Brentford, slapped by Real Madrid. Now Madrid a little bit different and, and done on the back of a, an insane Benzema performance. I get it. Like what a player he is uh, proving once again, that I am right about age curves. Like I am about everything. Um, he says not being serious. Um, but like when you look at Chelsea, do you have some sympathy also for Arsenal like holding their fire in January on striker or needing to be a little circumspect because like I don't know a lot of Arsenal fans that would have turned down Timo Werner or Lukaku and it certainly hasn't worked at Chelsea and like for a team that spent really big on a lot of firepower up front, very little of it has gone the way they would have hoped, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I've always maintained that Chelsea do not, Chelsea's aim is not to spend their money smartly. It never has been. Um, there, there are reasons for that. 
um that maybe i i won't say for fear of lawyers but (laughs) (laughs) but there are reasons they just throw money around like what the hell did they think they were buying in lukaku he's 29 he's been at the club once before like how can you buy a 29 year old striker and then go hmm he can't do actually do the things we want him to do why the fuck did you buy him then like i i I actually i feel really sorry for lukaku because he's you know he's come off a brilliant couple of years at inter where conte used him perfectly perfectly understood what his actual strengths are which are not as a target man he's much better at running channels running with the ball uh coming off that kind of half space played right wing against us to devastating effect a couple of times yeah and that's that's you know he didn't quite play right wing for inter but that was where he spent he spent a lot of time in that right channel like Mm -hmm. they understood how to use him it kind of looks like chelsea just went ah yeah he like the mistake that has been made numerous times in Lukaku's career of just, um, you know, completely miscasting him because of his build. And look, let's face it, maybe because of other things. Um, but but it, it's just like, what what the hell were you doing? And Timo Werner, it's like, did you not know I'm buying Havertz and Werner at the, at the same time? And it's like, well, how do you use both of those players? Because they, you know, they, it's very difficult to see how you get both of those into the same team. And again, to make the uh, the same comparison, Chelsea women, exactly the same. They just throw money um, at players and, and it, it kind of works better for them there. But there, there's not really any strategy in it. And, uh, and, and I, I find it inc- absolutely incredible that you'd spend that much money on a very, very known quantity who has already been at your club and then completely misuse them like that. Like that's... That, that's just stupid. But Chelsea do that a lot. They are stupid with their money. That is why they don't win the league every year or compete for the league every year. That's why they are a high-level cup team, um, generally speaking, because that's what they do. Man City, they, they control everything so much that they are always, like every year, they are at least in the final stages of everything. There are never crises or disasters at Man City, like they control everything within an inch of its life, whereas Chelsea are much more chaotic. And look, when you've got that much more that much money, of course you're going to be successful. Like no matter really, I say no matter how you go about it, given what we've just said about Everton, but but generally speaking, you know you, you will be successful with with that level of investment. And that's the thing about Everton; they don't have that level of investment. And I don't think Chelsea, as much as I do think they're quite stupid with their money, sometimes they've not been as stupid as Everton. But I like I look at like people say, "Oh yeah, but the Chelsea model uh, and they've won all these trophies." And I I kind of think they could and should have won a lot more, like particularly league titles. Like they won a lot of FA Cups, and look. We've done that as well, uh, more than they have actually, and they've won the Champions League a couple of times, and you know you can't really argue with that. But I, I, th- I think like your year-on-year league performance says a lot about your health as a club. And I look at City and Liverpool at the moment, and I just think those are much, much better run clubs than Chelsea. I think Chelsea have been kind of badly run ever since Abramovich came. It's just they spend so much money that it it kind of doesn't matter. But they could have done a lot more, I think. And I think they continue. Basically, the the model at Chelsea is, or has been, it, it may not, it probably won't be anymore, but the model has been the owner buys players that he quite likes 
or likes the sound of and then just goes right you coach get on with it and by the way if you can't do it in six months you're gone and that's that's basically their model and i think that all of their success they've had is in spite of that model not because of it yeah well said um i have to say though seeing lukaku struggle as a target man and struggle this season generally puts into even sharper relief and context that Pablo Marie performance against him at the start of the season. (laughs) I mean, that was, yeah, the less said about that, the better. I will also point out that like, we're getting the ultimate weird Unai Emery experience on the other side of this, which is beating Bayern Munich in a knockout round of a Champions League tie and Francis Coughlin scoring a goal and now VAR ruled it out. But like, we were definitely in the upside down for the last couple of days. Um, But again, the Unai Emery experience, like what is it? It's about being really good in European cup competition but there he is in seventh place in La Liga on like 12 wins, nine draws, nine losses. And it all feels very Unai. And like, he has definitely grown in my esteem a little bit since he's been gone because it just was, sometimes it's a bad fit between club and manager. But like, has there ever been a more clear example of someone who's like, put me in the cups and get someone else to manage your league campaign? Uh, he is definitely that guy. I think we should leave it there. We've waffled on long enough. We're going to have um, some Patreon content tomorrow, the instant reaction on Saturday. Uh, another pod on Monday, at which time it will be the last day to get into the fundraiser if you want to be into the VIP draw, the VIP luxury box at the Emirates for the Everton game to see us uh, achieve St. Totteringham's Day, qualify for the Champions League, and relegate Everton all on the same day in a box with Andrew, our Splog himself, Tim, Clive, Paul, myself. Um, and and please, uh, if, if I know we're, I, I think we're actually going to get past our goal today, which is amazing, and I will say more about that in the future. But regardless, we'll leave that entry window open till the end of the day Monday because we have this donor who has agreed to give 10,000 pounds, up to 10,000 pounds matched for every donation between now and Monday evening. So everything you give is doubled, which is incredible because this community is incredible. Jess is on Twitter at Jessinho tweets. Jess, what a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Uh, well, thank you for joining and we'll have to have you on again. Tim's on Twitter at Stroberto. Thank you, Tim. My pleasure as always. Plenty, plenty more to come, but is the party over? I don't think so, friends. I think we I think we see the development, the growth of the young future of this club as we go on to uh, achieve St. Totteringham's Day. Without hope, we have nothing, so let's stay hopeful. My name is Elliot Timothy, the Blackman Twitter, Yank Gunner. We love you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Brighton No. 